Welcome to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. I'm Dan, and today we've got something pretty special for you. One of our pastors, Fran Francis, is sharing a message called Air, Water, Fire, and Stone. The idea here is that in our busy and technology-centered lives, this will be an opportunity for you to catch your breath, be refreshed, and ground yourself on a solid stone foundation of faith. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Air, water, fire, stone. Nature as a threshold for encounters with God. I think when we say that, we we realise, yes, so often it's in nature or with natural metaphors, but even not just metaphors, but out there, actually outdoors, we have our special moments with God. And there's a huge biblical record to demonstrate that that's exactly uh, where God is out and about. Um, meeting people with burning bushes and um, partings of sea and all that sort of stuff. And and then also there's this incredible reality of what God does inside the human heart at the same time. Both are true of God out there and in here. And today we're kind of going to be focusing on how the out there also is in some way in here, how the two connect. So I don't know if you've thought much about interconnectedness, it's a bit of a buzzword these days, I think. You know, you have global interconnectedness with the global markets and things like spillover. I know nothing about global economics, but I did pick that word up somewhere. And, um, you know, it sort of makes sense. There are sayings like, oh, well, if the US sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold, that kind of thing. So there is that sense of interconnectedness between um, uh, national economies, uh, peace or not, you know, war spills over from one uh, tribe into another, that kind of thing. But by and large, I'd have to say I haven't lost a lot of sleep over this idea of interconnectedness. But I have, surprisingly to me, uh, been somewhat immersed in it for about a year now um, with Chris Telfer here. Many of you will know her, Chris, and I um, lead retreats. That's part of our fun thing that we do and part of my work, actually. And um, so an organisation that we've been working with recently who book us to come is uh, Tafaya Atafai, the Sisters of Mercy, uh, who educated me, actually. So it's kind of nice to be back bringing my gifts and serving them. And so we uh, have led a couple of retreats at the Mercy Centre over in Epsom. And... um, a little sort of side note to that is who knew that Chris's obsession with stationery and my ability to collect random stories would become something people would pay to attend. <laughs> God is amazing. So this relationship with uh, Tafaya Atafai or the Sisters of Mercy um, has meant that last year we led a retreat centred in their theme of the year, which was um, the Year of Words. And so we did a retreat around benediction and the good words. And out of that sprang this idea of the elements. There was something elemental about connecting with a really, really good word. So this elemental word has been fizzing away in the back of my mind. And um, then this year, when they approached us to lead a retreat for them, they said, well, our theme this year, I mean, our theme for our year for our church is the kingdom of God. So the Sisters of Mercy, their theme for this year is um, interconnectedness. And could we do a retreat about that? Why, yes, sister. No clue what we would do, but um, it was kind of fizzing away in the background and it came together yesterday. 
so you're getting a version of it, lucky you. So air, water, fire and stone, these four elements and what do they mean to us and how are they connected and all that sort of stuff. So if you're a kid of the 90s, who remembers Captain Planet and the Planeteers? Yes, exactly, yeah. How did it go? Anyone remember? Come on, Cal, if you can do this. Captain Planet and the Planeteers. No, it's that whole earth, wind, fire. Water. <laughs> okay, bit of a fizzer. <laughs> oh, who had it? Anyone else? Another goat? No, there we go. Heart. Oh. <laughs> they added in a fifth element that sort of didn't quite work, but heart, exactly. Not really an element, but, you know, good for them. So we are connected to each other, and with Captain Planet and the Planeteers, the, the four Planeteers would bring together their four things, and then Hart would come in with his ring, and it was like, and then Captain, Captain Planet would kind of explode out of the five rings coming together, and oh, it would save the planet, and it was actually a really ahead-of-its-time message for um, children, but the sense of awareness of what it means to be interconnected. The whole thing, maybe you've never thought about this, but air as the breath of God. Actually, there's a beautiful quote I want to tell you here first. So, St. Francis of Assisi, 800 years ago, said, Earth is not our mother, she's our sister. We have the same father. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Oh my gosh. So, and then in our own culture, from the Maori perspective, we have whakawhānau nātanga, that we are all family, and it's not just family in terms of uh, lines of ancestry, but we are in kinship with rivers, mountains, trees, uh, fish, birds. We are kin. And so it's the most uh, interconnected and holistic, holy idea in the world, I think. So this is interconnectedness, whakawhānau nātanga and the fact that we all belong to everything and everything belongs to God. So let's think about air for a moment, the breath of God, which we sang about this morning, breathe on us. The breath that kind of died on Jesus' lips was then reborn in us. Um, it's a very special idea. We are connected to one another by breathing air. We're connected to the universe by light that travels to us from our distant star, the sun. We rely on that light and warmth and heat for our life. Um, we are formed in relation to water. We are formed in fluidity. And before we are born, we dwell in airlessness. Without stone, we'd have no planet to support life. And basically, if these interconnections are severed, it means death. So we're not a collection of independent and unconnected beings. We exist in relation to others and in relation to the other than human and the non-human abiotic elements in creation. A few years ago, I watched a movie called The Migration of Birds, and in it there's a, an incredible scene. It's a, it's a documentary just tracking all of the various migrations of the, the migratory birds. And there's a scene that takes place on a, a mountainside, a meadow. Um, the, the documentary tracks various kinds of birds and tracks them for the whole cycle 
of their, their breeding cycle, essentially. So where they start off, where they go to breed, and then the return. So we see the outward journey, and starting off, we see the raising of the young, and then we see them returning um, back to where they began. So here's this meadow on a mountainside, alpine, I think. There's a stone cottage. The birds fill the air, and gradually, after circling around a bit, they come to land in the meadow, and an old lady comes out of her cottage and starts throwing grain out for the birds, who gobble it up with great enthusiasm, potter about in her meadow for a bit, and then take off to their faraway breeding site. The documentary goes on, we see various other things, and then tracking these particular birds, they've raised their young, they fly and fly, and on the way home, they stop in at the meadow, they're circling around, out of the cottage comes the little old lady, but this time, she has her little granddaughter with her, and she shows her how to throw the grain for the birds, and the birds are showing their young, this is the place we stop. Isn't that beautiful? The interconnectedness between these two species passing on to their young, this specialness of the relationship between one another, that the birds know this is our meadow. And the old lady is telling her granddaughter, this is their meadow and ours too. Interconnectedness and whakawhānau nātanga. So beautiful. If you dig deep enough, you find respect for these elements in every culture. And um, we know that God may be speaking to us as we um, encounter moments in nature, but often we're too busy to really pause and let them happen. There's just so much pressure to be productive and to head off and do the next thing. We know that we feel good by the sea or by the river. We admire the mountain or the volcano. Maybe we mourn the water that isn't as clean as it used to be. And we miss the dawn chorus that was so loud when we were children. And we're drawn to the fire, whether it's at camp out or at home. And we revel in the freshness of the wind, except when it cuts our power or cancels our flights. <laughs> but what if these four elements of which we are made and to which we are vitally connected could be a threshold of connection with God. And I'm here to say this morning they are. And with four simple scriptures and our remaining time, we're going to kind of cross the thresholds of air, water, fire and stone as moments of connection with God. And you might be saying, how will you do this, Franny? We are indoors. We're not outside in nature. Do not worry, I have thought of this. It won't be entirely natural but it will be nature. It'll be fine. So, breathing is prayer then, if we think about the breath of God. Why bubbles? Because they only exist in air, and they're full of air. So, just as a sense of air, bubbles exist in a tension, don't they, between air and water, liquid. Um, if you consciously blow a bubble, you have to kind of coax it into life, blow too hard and it just pops and it disappears into the air. So 
Here's a little image for you to kind of think about. But we're going to do a very ancient form of prayer right now, which is breathing. You probably did it from when you were born, so it's not difficult. But there's a wonderful tradition of breathing prayer in our Christian faith. And uh, the scripture that I'd like you to just hold in mind is from uh, the creation account. One day, it says in the message, the eternal God scooped dirt out of the ground, sculpted it into the shape we call human, breathed the breath that gives life into the nostrils of the human, and the human became a living soul. I don't know if you know, but the four symbols that represent the, the special name of God, those four symbols, it's called the tetragrammaton, uh, which is almost as unpronounceable as the actual name. Um, you can't say it. Those four symbols are all aspirant, which means they're all a version of our H, which is <sighs> So you can't say those four things because it's all <sighs> which is basically breath. How interesting that God named himself in the context of breath, that even to attempt to say the name just involves, <sighs> how special is that? I can't substantiate it, but I have read that uh, in the Jewish tradition, they understand it to be the sound, God's name is the sound of the wind in the trees in the wilderness. So maybe reaching right back to their exile journey out of the desert and into the promised land. So there's a, there's a strong case for our breathing to also be our prayer. So just for a minute, we're going to do that. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and pretend you're a desert father or mother or that you're uh, just yourself, that's fine. And to just become conscious of your breathing your God-given breath. And you might feel a little bit of anxiety up in your chest and think, oh, I don't know about this. But I'm inviting you to breathe down into your belly. And if you're not familiar with that, you can put your hand on your tummy. And when your hand rises and falls, you've got it right. And then on your inward breath, just in your mind and heart. Breathe in the name of Jesus. And then breathe it out again. Just breathe in the name of Jesus. And breathe it out. And it's a discipline. So just breathe in the name of Jesus. And breathe it out. This is the Jesus prayer. And right now, you are becoming the most recent in a long line of Jesus lovers, breathing the name of God consciously. You might like to breathe in the love of God and breathe out all that is opposite to that. You might like to breathe in hope and breathe out despair. And just a last one of breathe in the name of Jesus and breathe it out.
when you're ready, you can just return to the room. The message version of the Bible says um, that God himself breathes in us in our wordless sighs. So we don't have to have words to pray. We can breathe. Our very sighs express something that God prays in and through and with us. Sometimes they're relaxing sighs, sighs of pleasure and joy, sighs of overwhelm, all different, even the language of our sighing is complex. And God is right there in all of those. So this is a way to pray through some things that we don't have words for. So, water, the tears of the earth, The scripture says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was a formless void. There was darkness over the deep. And God's spirit hovered over the water. So water is the symbol of origin, of renewal, of life, and other things too. But let's just stick with this image from the creation. Something hovering over the deep, the depths. This kind of hovering is... Uh, also called brooding. It's what hens do as they hover and brood over their eggs. So it's a generative, life-giving, nurturing hover, not a sort of helicopter hover of, I don't know. Just think of that nice birdie image of something nurturing. This very presence is hovering in a nurturing way over the depths of your very soul. So if God can do it, In creation, God can also hover over our own depths and deeps. I think that's a really fantastic idea, and we don't get to think about our depths very much. So what we're going to do now for the next two minutes is just be present to the spirit that hovers over our own depths. We've sung about you call me out upon the waters. Um, There are many, many metaphors and uh, biblical examples of the waters and God. But we're an island people, and the shore and the sea and the sound of the waves is somehow very comforting for us. So just for the next two minutes, I just want you to listen to the sound of the sea and be aware of how God is over your depths. And I'd like to invite you to think of one memory your most special memory of water. It might be, might be your baptism. It might be the first time you caught a wave surfing. It might be when you went diving one time. It might be the first shower you took after you gave birth. It might be the first time you bathed your baby. It might be a nighttime swim. Who knows? But as you listen to the waves, let a memory of water arise and see what its gift is to you now. So hold that thought and that memory of you and water and what the gift of that memory might be for you now. So we move to fire, the divine spark. I think God likes fire. I like fire. There are a lot of fire moments in the Bible. What I really like at the moment is this whole idea of the Shekinah, the glory of God, which was the fiery presence that was found in the temple. 
And then by the work of Jesus on the cross, the resurrection, the ascension and Pentecost and the outpouring of Jesus' spirit into us, the Shekinah glory shifted from being a presence in the temple to something that now lives in us. We are the temple and that glory, that fiery presence, the divine spark is now taken up residence in us. That's a an astonishing thought. The glorious presence living in living temples, you and me. There's a beautiful scene, um, and perhaps one couldn't say this about much of the book of Revelation, but because a lot of it seems quite scary. But there are, there's this beautiful scene where um, in John's vision, he sees the Lord Jesus moving as a high priest amongst the lampstands in the temple. So that was something high priests would do to keep the lamps burning. And these lamps in the vision of St. John represent these seven churches in Asia Minor. This beautiful image of Jesus trimming wicks, topping up the oil, tending to the lamps and just moving through the space, making sure they continue to put out their light. It's a very tender and respectful image, I think. It's it's incredible that Jesus shows himself this way, so lovely. And then, of course, we have Meister Eckhart from the 13th century who talks about the divine spark. Jesus is tending that divine spark in us. And don't you think there is nothing like a good fire for just gazing and becoming lost in the flicker, the sound, that whole thing playing out in front of us? Fire is living, it needs to be tended. You have to feed a fire. A fire is good company. You don't want to let it go out. It's the worst thing in the world, putting out a fire. I mean, a house fire, yes, we want to put that out. But I, I just have this real aversion to snuffing out, you know, the, the fire from the braai, for example. It's like, oh, but such effort went into to kindling it and setting it and making it good and it's cooked all this food and now we kill it. I just find that quite hard. So... There's something very evocative about fire. Uh, one of my favourite spiritual writers, John O'Donoghue, said that uh, when he was in his formation for ministry, they would be uh, sent to visit the spiritual directors. And so uh, he and his other fellow students went to an old spiritual director who, um, this is in Ireland, and he'd set a beautiful fire. Oh, he'd set a beautiful fire. And um, you can imagine a cold Irish afternoon or something. And so their spiritual exercise was to gaze at the fire for an hour. And that was as they were learning how to pray in a deep way, shifting from mind prayers to real heart space, to just have permission to do this as a discipline, to gaze at the fire and not think about anything other than letting their mind be filled with God. And just, it's a prayer of presence We bring our attention to God, not our thinking. And we're not listening for anything from God, just presence. So we're going to do that with a beautiful crackly fire. You don't have to think about anything. Just gaze at the fire. The disciples on the Emmaus Road said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures for us? So stay with your fiery moment. Vic, would you pass out my stones? So here we are coming in now. Stone, 
as the tabernacle of memory. The scripture says, after the uh, children of Israel crossed into the promised land, God says, take our Joshua with God. They say to the people, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan River, from the very place where the priests' feet stood firm. Bring them over with you, so that when your children ask in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed this Jordan on dry ground. So this is a moment where something spectacular has happened. The river has parted, the people have walked through, nobody has got wet, and so they're invited to take a stone, really, from the riverbed and take it to the other side and to set it up so that every time they pass by that place and the kids are going, what's that pile of rocks about? They get to retell the story. So as we said before, we're the living stones of the temple of God. So we're just leaning into the stone metaphor right now. Jesus is the cornerstone. St. John's vision of the Lord Jesus is wonderful here too. Jesus attending to what's inside the temple. Jesus is at home in our fragile form. But the mountains also declare the glory of God in ways that we can't. God became one of us in Jesus, so earth is God's home too. The stones that gave Jesus blisters or that he sat on to rest, the mountains that he chose in favour of human company, he sought the mountains, he went out to them. Amazing things happened with Jesus outdoors. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to be the rock tomb that held the body of Jesus? They're not biological, but they too are part of the story of him and us. The earth has a longer memory than we do. So I'd like you just to pass the stones around and just hold it for a couple of seconds so that you can feel the weight of it. Don't have to hang on to it for any particular period of time, but just to kind of have a feel of its weight and awareness of it. Pass it on. And what we're asking now is we're seeking a a moment of memory. What is one thing God has done for you that you will never forget? One thing that you would love to tell your kid, this is what God did for me. So just pass the stones around and give yourself a moment to remember that one thing. And it's a chance to be grateful. And gratitude is what is at the heart of the table that sits at the center of all of this. Some churches call Holy Communion Eucharist, which comes from the Greek word efkahisto, which just means thank you. So we're going to move now into our time of Holy Communion. And we're going to do this um, a little bit old school. You can keep passing the stone around if you haven't had a chance to do that yet. But there's very much an acknowledgement in Holy Communion that these elements, and we've been thinking about the elements this morning, they are the fruits of the earth and made by human hands. So there's a collaboration there, the earth and humanity, and then there's a divine mystery that we don't fully understand and which somehow this is very good for us, this little piece of bread and this 
fruit of the vine. It's good for us. We do it to remember Jesus, but somehow it's also food for the journey. In the early church, they used to just have one loaf and they'd break it up and they'd send it across the city to the different members of the Fano when they got too many to meet in one house. It was called the fragmentum. And then there were too many of them to just use the one loaf, so they had to bake their own loaves. But that sense of we who are many are one bread. Uh, We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. There's something very good about this communal moment of interconnectedness. God, the fruits of the earth, and us. So, I'd just like to invite you to stand. And what we're going to do today is we're going to invite you to come forward and uh, Vic and Janelle and Stanley and I will offer you the elements with uh, the traditional words of the body of Christ given for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. So you just come and you pull off your little piece of bread as you normally would and you take your cup, but, but you receive it from us and from God and take it back to your seat and have it as you normally would. But just, we would like to, we're talking about receiving communion this year, not just taking it. So this morning, it's coming to you as gift for which you may have a moment of efkehisto or thankfulness. So, the table of bread is now to be made ready. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. We keep an open table here, so all who love him are welcome. It's the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It is the table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come to this table, you who have much faith, and you who would like to have more, you who have been here often, and you who have not been for a long time, you who have tried to follow Jesus, and you who have failed, come. It is Christ who invites us to meet him here. I hope you enjoyed this message from Shaw Vineyard Church. In fact, I'd love to hear from you throughout this week, wherever you're from. You can reach out through Facebook, Instagram, or by email, dg at svc.org.nz. The message you just heard was from one of our Sunday services, and I'd love to invite you to join us this weekend at 10 a.m. or 6 p.m. at 252 Forest Hill Road in Forest Hill on Auckland's North Shore. You can find out more about our church right now if you want at svc.org.nz. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time on the podcast.